gonna be just like senior year, except for funner. Hey everyone, we have a special episode for you this week. Before we dive into our Pitch Perfect episode, we had the chance to chat with the movie's director, Jason Moore. Enjoy! Hi everyone, I'm Reseves. And I'm Kendra, and we are so excited to be chatting with Jason Moore today. Yes, about everything from his work on Pitch Perfect to his newest J-Lo rom-com action movie. Jason, you'll have to tell us all about it. We're so excited. I'm glad to be here. Thanks (laughs) for having me. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Yes. To start it off, we'd love to just hear more about your journey from theater to film and really just your origin story as a director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I, I always knew that I wanted to do both theater and film. And so in, in college, I kind of studied both, ended up getting a degree in either because I was kind of like trying to pick and choose the things I wanted. I moved out to LA. I was an agent's assistant, realized I was not, that wasn't my way in, but I worked for a director named Harold Becker on a movie called City Hall with Al Pacino. And then strangely, a theater job from LA took me to New York. I, I, it was a musical called Ragtime and I was one of the associate directors of it. That brought me to New York where I started uh, supervising Les Miserables, like the companies of Les Miserables. So casting the replacements and supervising the tour while I was working on new plays and musicals. And then I also simultaneously started directing um, a lot of the CW shows. Do you remember the CW, like Dawson's Creek and Everwood? Yeah. So so I I directed like probably 14 hours of teen drama for that. So that got Mm -hmm. me some experience behind the camera. And then uh, in 2003, I directed Avenue Q, which was uh, which was a nice, got a lot of attention, and that kind of launched that part of my career. Not too long after that, actually, I was sent I was sent a lot of musicals after that, musical movies. But then I read Pitch Perfect, and I was like, "This is great. This is like it's funny. I know what to do with this. Like I won't be as intimidated because I kind of know about how to do a musical. So the things that I don't know about making a movie, I will." I will learn, but I'll have this other knowledge that others don't have. And then I made Pitch Perfect. And then I kind of I felt really lucky to have had things that got attention in both theater and film. And then I've always tried to kind of move both parts of my career at the same time. That's amazing. I would love to hear about like what you feel like the biggest difference is between your work as a director when it comes to theater and when it comes to film. Foundationally, I think of it as very much the same, which is like, what is the emotional arc of the story? How do you communicate it? How do you make people laugh? Because hopefully in a movie, you're going to laugh as much as you will in a live theater production. Mm-hmm. Because I, I like going to movies like that, you know, like a live audience, which is we've been not been able to do that for a while, but we're getting back to it. But I think the main difference is that all how all of rehearsing a play, you get to see it in front of you as a director. Like you see the actors acting it, you feel the moments and it's all happening simultaneously. But then on a movie set, you're shooting in one direction. You don't see it happen. You have to kind of understand all the pieces. So it's a lot more of a big jigsaw puzzle in your head than rehearsing a play. But I like that part of it, the jigsaw puzzle part, trying to keep track of all the elements to see that they fit together nine months later when you actually do see it all together. You have to be a problem solver as a director, right? Like your brain just kind of has to work like that. <laughs> you have to be a problem solver. You have to be a worst case scenario person, <laughs> which is which is great for my work life, but not so great for my personal life. Yeah. But yeah, you have to think of all the things like, how do I, how do I handle this if something goes wrong? Because it always goes wrong somehow. Yeah. What's something you'd love to share with either your younger self about directing or with any aspiring young directors out there? That's a great question because I do. There are certain things I wish I had known. I think the the thing that always comes to mind is I I wish that someone had told me when I was younger, directing doesn't mean you have to have the answer for everything. 
because that puts a lot of pressure on you. Like you're supposed to know everybody and everything, every job and not, not how to communicate with people. But I think as I got more confident, I realized it was so okay to admit what I didn't know. In fact, it was more important to admit what I didn't know. So I could hire the right people to help me. And it's a highly collaborative form because there's, you cannot make a movie by yourself. You can't even make a movie with 10 people and you need at least 80. So really kind of, it, I became more relaxed when I realized I could let other people do things better than me. And I didn't have to worry about knowing, knowing everything. And that gave me more space to feel creative actually. Yeah. And I it gives that. other people more autonomy too, because like I said, <laughs> and it's better and it's better for it, right? Because they are more talented. They do know better. And and when people feel empowered, then, you know, I always, see, I always say like best idea wins. I'm going to get credit for it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, you always try and you can always. And that's the other thing too. In that situation, you acknowledge where the idea came from. You do not pass it off as your own. Because that also empowers people to be participatory and to want to contribute as opposed to, well, I'm going to stand over here and tell you something what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious too, like what is a moment, big or small, that you feel like upcoming directors shouldn't take for granted when it comes around? Because you do have a lot of those moments in your career. I, I mean, I think early career, it's just, it's so hard to get people to give you the resources to direct anything, right? Mm -hmm. Because because it's hard as a young director to show people your work because that means someone had to yeah. give you $20,000 at some point or give you enough equipment for free. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's like, direct anytime you can, because even if you don't think it's the perfect project or if it's going to break you into something, because the only way to practice it is to do it. There's no, there's not, there's no theory behind it. I so, and I think I went through a little bit of that at the beginning where I probably, I could have gotten more practice and been better when I had my big moments, had I just sort of directed almost everything that came my way. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so we want to dive a little more into rom-coms now. Yeah. That's what we love to talk about. We love I, I love yeah. to talk about it too. <laughs> so what elements of a comedy, specifically rom-coms, do you think make something really great or memorable? I think rom-coms, you have to love the characters, right? Like that's the most fundamental thing. Like you have to love the characters, you have to want them to be together, or you have to love the fact that they fight all the time, whatever version of their relationship <laughs> is. There's a lot of different kinds. That also means you need to love the people that populate the rest of the world. So they need to be three-dimensional, interesting, written, funny, cast, funny actors, yep. and let, and let the comedy come out of the relationship as much as possible. I think if you, there, then that's not always true, right? Some rom-coms have big concepts on top of it. Palm Springs was a movie I just rewatched again. And that's a big concept, but it, it works because the characters work and the, the comedy comes out of the characters. Um, and, you know, and I think also improv, if you have, the, I, I was thinking about Bridesmaids is like probably a movie I've seen 40 times. Same. And, and yeah, you know, and, and again, you just have all of this talent and you just want to try and capture it. So I think, I think to get a comedy, that's kind of the fundamental thing. Start with your characters and the writing and then make sure you get the right actors to follow through on it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I just want to say, I feel like Rebel Wilson was perfect casting mm -hmm. for Pitch Perfect because <laughs> Mercedes and I do a section where we uh, go over industry facts, like fun facts about the movie. Uh -huh. And we were talking about how Rebel Wilson like improvised like 90% of her lines in this movie. <laughs> That's like, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she, I mean, she is perfect casting. Interestingly, our casting directors had pointed her out right away and I knew who she was from Bridesmaids. Mm -hmm. And she, when she came in, it was undeniable. Like it was, I think she was the first 
or she and Alexander were the first offers we made because they're, they're such important parts. And you know, the thing about Rebel, she does improv, but you know what? And this won't surprise people now, especially because they've seen that she's written so many things and she has created a little empire for herself, right? She really, she's ambitious. She was a lawyer. She works hard. So it was improv, but I would see her in the corner writing notes down. Like she, it wasn't an in the moment only. It was a plan and then be funny also in the moment. And I think that's why she comes across. One is so genuine because he's able to be in the moment, but also so funny because it, it wasn't just like throwing a hundred jokes against the wall. She really, she can do that also, but she, she was ambitious about it. And I, I think that's the quality that made the movie better, made my job better. And I think it also made other people in the movie step up, you know, like, okay, wow. I, I want to get some moments. I think, <laughs> I think it's always good to have a little as a healthy competition between comics yep. because, and like supportive in the way that improv is supportive and I'm going to help you help me help you. But I think if you can get that, like, okay, bring it, you know, like if you bring it and it's funny, it'll be in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to talk about what are some classic tropes that you see in rom-coms that you feel like have played out in your personal life? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> that's a great question. Tropes in rom-com. Meet cute, not so much. That, that, or that's not where I am in my life anymore. But I still like, love a good one, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I, I love the concept of it. I think about a movie like Palm Springs just because it's top of mind. I think it's pretty genius and it is very romantic, but I would say the couples that fight (laughs) more or don't get along more at the beginning, that's probably what more of my relationships have been like. And in that- Right there with me. I love an enemies to lovers. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think, and even if it's not enemies, but it can be, I I haven't quite Mm. gone to enemies before, but (laughs) I've ended up at enemies. But the the more you go through together and the, the things that you have to figure out together as a couple makes you stronger, right? So if you have some of that stuff at the beginning, it might intensify your relationship more. Whereas if it's all, you know, puppies and rainbows at the beginning, you might not have really gotten to know the person under pressure. And I think that's what makes a good relationship. That's so true. I love that. So now the question we've all been waiting for, what's your favorite (laughs) rom-com? Well, I have a lot of them and they're all different kinds, you know, because I think like, well, I've mentioned two of them already, Bridesmaids, Palm Springs. I mean, when Harry met Sally is such an obvious question, but I feel like it's almost the one, it's almost the one that like spawned the next generation of them. It won't surprise you since you've seen Pitch Perfect that like, I also love a romance in a musical. So bring it on is one I mean, some of you have probably seen (laughs) a good ton of times. And I think that like, I think about that scene when the two of them are brushing their teeth Mm -hmm. and they're just in the mirror. It's one shot. They're brushing their teeth and spitting. And I remember thinking like in a movie that's so like quick and witted and music to take the space to allow that nonverbal romance to blossom just felt like so romantic to me. And I think that's what I kind of think romance is kind of also is like the awkward spaces in between what you say, mm-hmm. because that's where the magic comes. And so that's like a scene that's always stuck with me as a brilliant way to progress a relationship without having to talk about it. Yeah. I love that scene. It's so memorable and it's just yeah. like so gentle and yeah, like playful. It's, it's it's great. Great it pick. Is. And it's sexy, right? Like there's her yes. dramas. There's the me. eyes. Yeah. And when you look at 
do a mirror, you can almost be more easily to look at someone because you don't know you're not actually looking in the eye. Yeah. So like you can kind of let it flirt a little bit more. Kind of way you can kind of flirt more over text sometimes. It's so good. <laughs> so Mercedes and I, we always we did a live and we had to rank our top rom com queen. So like top people that we feel like are the queens of rom com. So obviously we had like Julia Roberts, we had Sanaa Lathan, Cameron oh, Diaz. Amazing. amazing. And I'm curious, can you tell us like just your top rom-com queen on your list? Not going to lie, J-Lo comes to mind because mm. I just worked with her, but Made in Manhattan is one of my favorites. Oh, Monster-in-Law yes. is one yes. of my favorites. <laughs> Even the backup plan that she was in is a great movie. So she comes to mind because she can do all of it. Mm -hmm. I feel like she's a queen that way. And I've had the great fortune to work with her and she actually can do all of it. It's mm -hmm. amazing to watch. And I've always loved watching her. So she kind of jumps to, that's one that jumps to mind. You're Probably if you place. asked me, yeah, it would have been <laughs> Julia Roberts would have come to mind, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. We just wrapped up our J-Lo month of poems in March. Oh, yes. So you're, you're definitely in the right place. <laughs> Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, there's a bunch of good ones. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. 100%. You know what a lot of those women carry in common too, which I think is a real talent that most people don't quite know that it's a talent, is they're all good at physical comedy. Mm. They're all good at, mm. they're good at pratfalls and awkward walks and mm -hmm. goofy laughs and like being uncomfortable and nervous. Like all those things are actually very physical and all the women that you just mentioned know how to do that. That's just my natural being. So I feel like, <laughs> cast me in your next, next. movie if you like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want me to trip over something, this, yeah. it's, it's Okay, got it. Exactly. So we want to talk about Pitch Perfect. Obviously, Mercedes and I, we did an episode on it. We love it. We're huge fans. Anna Kendrick kills it. Like, we love all of the music, everything in it. And I want to know, is there a deleted scene that you really wish you could have included in the final version of the film? Ooh, these are good questions. I know. We're so good at this. It's now been, <laughs> it's been 10 years, so I have to think. Mm -hmm. um, I'm suddenly like, want to look at the DVD extras. That's how old that movie is. <laughs> actually, I got DVD extras. You know, I think actually comedies... There were probably a few more jokes that I would have cut, but not full scenes. I think comedies, especially ones, the ones that I particularly admire, and especially now with an audience's attention span, the ones that work best are the ones that are most dense, full of jokes or the most dense, full of really memorable romance, right? So I think if you're really being honest with yourself and you're thinking, which is what I, I do, but I, because I'm come from theater, I really do think about how something's going to play in front of an audience more than I think about people watching it at home. That's maybe slightly old fashioned at this point, but you know, there, it is fun when something gross or funny or romantic happens and the audience responds and you want them to be, you know, on the ride. So I found that every time I've cut something, it's made the movie better. So I don't really mourn the loss of it. And if I cut something and I think it's wrong, I put it back in, you know, yeah, I argue yeah. and I put it back in and I say it needs to be this way. You honor your art in that way. That's really, I respect that a lot. I do. Thank you. And, and the audience too. I mean, there's also things that I think were hilarious and they, the audience didn't laugh. And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm enough of a, you know, wanting to get laughs. I, that's how the director gets their like, you know, praise, right? It's right. laughs just like actors do. So it's like, listen, I want the audience to have a great time. I don't want a joke not to hit. Um, and the movie will be better for it if all the jokes hit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This movie's known for the iconic moments and iconic quotes. Do you have a favorite quote or scene? I love you, awesome nerds. That one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So sweet. Um, it's very sweet. And I, that's one that, like, to me, in one line captures both 
the romance and the comedy of that, you know, the, fr- the romance of the friendships in that particular scene and awesome nerds, which is like acknowledging who you are, owning who you are, and also acknowledging that you're outsiders, you know? And so, so there's a lot of things about that line that really, really jump out. And then of course, Ak, excuse me, which it took me about, <laughs> it took me about two years to get that out of my vernacular and my friends were like, okay, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Such a classic line. Definitely. <laughs> so, obviously, Jason, Pitch Perfect is not the only movie that you've directed. You also directed Sisters with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. And I'm just curious, when we when you think of comedies, especially one starring like these two comedy queens, we never think of the hardships that all movie sets have. And so what are some challenges that you feel like you you faced when you were creating this film? For Sisters, it was it was like I went from like working with incredibly talented younger actors to people my own age who were like Lamborghinis of comedy, right? Yeah. Thoroughbred, like know how to improv, know how to save something, a sketch in front of a live audience at SNL or to stand alone and be, and, and so I realized very quickly that once I was in a room with them, that it was like my job to get out of the way, like get get them the things they need. Paula Pell was writing jokes on post-its. We had a system where we would add jokes to the fire and just keep it churning. What was difficult about that particular movie is it was, it's basically a party movie at its heart, right? Like yeah. about an hour, hour and 10 minutes of the movie is a party where the house gets destroyed. And which meant that everyone pretty much was in every scene on set every day. And we were getting dirtier and messier. We shot it in sequence so that we could actually just destroy the house, not worry yeah, yeah. about continuity. So by the end, everyone was covered in mud. The set smelled horrible. <laughs> mm. But, you know, because they also were there all the time, they had this bonding thing go on. And Tina and Amy are great leaders. Maya Rudolph keeps everybody in stitches. John Leguizamo, who I love, would like do cheerleading whenever, you know, it would it would together. So so in some ways, the hardship of making a movie, when you have the right people, the mm-hmm. spirited people, can be the very thing that kind of makes you bond. And that movie is a lot about bonding. And so it was one of those things that it, it never felt, it felt difficult and kind of sloggy because they were long days and everyone was tired. But that also meant that we bonded all the way through it. It was really fun. Love it. Oh, that's so beautiful to hear. I'm obsessed. <laughs> yeah. I want to come on set. <laughs> yeah, that was a really great set. It was a really great set. I'm sure the icons of a comedy right there. Mm-hmm. Also, Tina and Amy at the time and have known and worked with everyone. Yeah. So like we had the inside track on who was going to show up and, and be like a hundred percenter, you know? And mm-hmm. so we, we chose well on that movie and everyone on it was a dream, honestly. Love it. Oh my goodness. So we have to talk about Shotgun Wedding. We already told you we just had J-Lo month. So we really, what can we expect from this movie? What can you tell us about it? I'm so excited. So excited. (laughs) I literally just finished it last week. So um, thank you. I'm having that that slight like, where where am I supposed to go during the day? I I love the movie. I'm very (laughs) proud of it. And I kind of miss watching it because I miss, that was another great body experience, which I'll tell you about in a minute because it was during COVID. But the movie is, and I wanted to do it because it's more of a blend of genres than everything I've done. So it's it's got real action sequences. We had the second unit director and stunt coordinator from the James Bond movies, named Lee Lee Morrison. We had an A-plus comedy cast for the comedy and then there's a real there's a complex romance in it and it's that the couple actually 
and this was one of the reasons I liked it. Knowing people would probably see it as a rom-com, but the twist on it is that they already are getting married. You start where the most rom-coms end. Mm. And then they get, they get cold feet and these difficult things happen. And then they end up sort of tied together and they have to rescue the wedding, rest of the wedding party. And they're arguing because they're mad at each other, <laughs> but doing, going, that's what I was saying earlier, like going through this trauma, essentially of this day, that's actually a very funny kind of action and, and, and danger is, has made them fall back in love with each other, trust each other even more. And so it's, it's actually kind of about how a relationship deepens as opposed to how it progresses for the first time, because they've been together for five years. So that felt new to me. And, and those blended genres, they're really all in there. Um, And it was, it was, 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 it's a blast. I can't wait for people to see it. We are so excited. Awesome. Mercedes knows this about me. I prefer rom-coms where we get to be in the center of the relationship. Mm -hmm. I don't like when they don't know that they like each other the entire movie and then get together at the end. I like when they're together. You see, you can see inside the relationship. Like I always use going the distance as an example with Justin yep. Long, Drew Barrymore. That's yep. a perfect, Amazing. like, that's a perfect rom-com to me. Like you can just see inside their relationship, see all the intimacies and all the challenges that they go through. So I'm very, very excited for this film. Um, and it makes you relate to him more, don't you yeah, think? Yeah. Like, 100%. you know, like, you know, a lot of our audience would say like, I recognize that argument. I've had that argument with my spouse. Definitely. And I think that, you know, even though you have these big movie stars, you kind of want to recognize yourself in that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, like as a director and you're starting a new project, are there any like rituals or traditions that you have that you do when you're starting a new project? Anything that's like a habit? Again, great questions. One thing I do is I go about out and buy basically seven outfits, basically all in the same color. And I just realize I never have to dress myself in the morning. That's one no, thing. I'm so I, I, pick, I pick a Deep look. Jobs mentality. I like it. Yeah. I pick, <laughs> pick a look Uniform. a little different every time. Mm-hmm. That's one ritual. Another ritual is obsess on things, which is bulletin boards, vision boards, mm-hmm. visuals, trying to get as many visuals up as I can. I like to be immersed in it. Actually, this is my office and the walls are actually made of cork board. So I put mm-hmm. everything up on the walls. I, the, I empty that. now because I'm not, not working on anything. Okay. So I like to just kind of immerse myself in it so that I can trust that when I get there, I don't have to obsess or overthink. I've already kind mm-hmm. of done it. That's a ritual that takes a lot of time, but it's actually really fun. Pre-production is key. <laughs> key, key, key. Especially if you want the set to be fun and you want the yeah. set to be fun so people are free to be relaxed and be funny and be vulnerable, which is also what you're asking them to do usually in a love story. I think it's so cool just <laughs> your your craft and your attention to detail and everything that you've created. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I'm curious, other than Shotgun Wedding, which we are all very excited about, what else do you have upcoming? What else are you excited about? What else are you working on? Can you spill the tea there? Are you allowed to tell us? I, I, I actually, not today, but there's a book that's going to be announced that I found that I love. And it's, it actually is also a romance that has a time travel element to it that Ooh. we're going to work on making into something. Uh, and there's another book that I really like, but I don't have what my next project is in the sense I'm reading a lot, but Shotgun is actually quite different than the other two movies. And mm-hmm. I'd really like to do that thing that directors like to do, which is step a little bit outside of my comfort zone and try something science fiction or a bigger action movie or a spy movie or something mm-hmm. like that. They would still have comic elements to it because I can't really direct anything that's dramatic only. I don't think life works like that. Even in the worst moments in life, comedy happens whether you want it to or not. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Well, you know, Mercedes and I are always available. We're ready for yeah, our close-up. Right well, now I know. <laughs> and you know the genre inside and out. You'd be like, I'm going to give you vulnerable look number 72 with Pratt Paul number 10. 
Yes, exactly. Yes, we're ready. We're set. I love it. We're Jason, ready. you are amazing. Thank you so much for joining us in the rom-com room. Thank you for sharing all of your all of your insight and everything. And we wish you the best of the future and on all your future projects. Thanks so much. I had a really fun time with you guys. Thanks a lot. Hey, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Happy Friday, listeners. I'm Kendra. Hi, guys. I'm Mercedes. And this week we're talking about the acapella romance Pitch Perfect. But guys, this is our last movie in musical month. We have just had so much fun showcasing our favorite music movies with you guys. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully we'll have a lot more coming in the future. But of course, Mercedes, we got to kick the show off by talking about our celebrity crush of the week. Who are you crushing on this week? Oh, my goodness, Kendra. So I have a multiple, multiple crushes this week, but I narrowed oh. it down okay. to John, to Jonathan Bailey from season two of Bridgerton. It premiered, <laughs> it premiered last week. So, of course, mm -hmm. I binged it all in one day over the weekend. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, my mom is like a Bridgerton super fan of the books. So she okay. like does countdowns for the show. And mm -hmm. she knew I was going to love this season because it has the classic enemies to lovers. And it is so good. Jonathan Bailey is so amazing. Like, this love story is great. I I love it. It's the, there's a, it's a slow burn. So you're just patiently mm -hmm. waiting for the kiss. It's like the Pride and Prejudice, like, barely holding hands thing that I, like, love. They're like, yes, exactly. The yearning is just insane right now. <laughs> okay, hold on. I need to understand this. So I watched the first season of Bridgerton. I'm going to be completely honest. I wasn't a fan. But I'm willing to watch the second season. I heard that Jean Reggae Page is not in the season, though. Yeah. So the Bridgerton what? series focuses on each sibling in the Bridgerton family finding love so this time uh, it's the older brother's turn to find love so the one with like the gnarly sideburns in season one it's his turn yeah. but he doesn't have the sideburns anymore thank god interesting so they because they completely left that on a hook in the first season are they going to come back to it? Because I got a lot of questions. <laughs> the girl from the first season is in this one, but only like in little cameos. Um, so I don't know. I think the couples, once they find love, they dip into their sibling stories a little bit as like a married person. But mm. after that, they're really not. I hope they bring this story back. Honestly, like I enjoyed season one and I thought it was yeah. really good. And then but this season, whole other level. It's okay. my entire TikTok right now. Is just do I have out. to rewatch season one in order to understand season two? No, not okay. At all. Good, good because that's what I was like. I don't have time for all that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, perfect. Okay, we'll be tuning in. I always love your suggestions. Speaking of rewatching things, I have been rewatching Atlanta because the new season came out on Thursday, and it has been like three years or something since the last season came it's out it's been a nuts. minute yeah it's been a while and i remember when the last season ended this was even before the pandemic i feel like they were like yeah we're coming back in 2022 and i remember thinking that is so far away and now here, here, we here it is here we are <laughs> i i survived but because of that my celebrity crush of the week this week is lakeith stanfield oh, i just so absolutely beautiful i love him <laughs> i love him so much he's so alternative Right. Every yeah. time you see a pic of him on the red carpet, he's just doing something different. And I just feel like having a conversation with him would be an out of world experience. And so Lakeith Stanfield, if you are listening to this, please slide into my DMs. Let's talk. I will buy you a cup of coffee. I just want to hear what's on your mind and what's on your heart. That's it. <laughs> he is so effortlessly cool, too. Like he yeah. could wear anything and it looks amazing. Like he just has that like 
calmness to him too. Yeah, Beautiful exactly. Man. He has BDE. <laughs> Quite confidence. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We are going to slide right into TLDR. This is just a time for us to recap the movie for anyone who hasn't seen it. Just a warning, there are spoilers ahead, but if you have not seen Pitch Perfect, you can buy it on Amazon Prime or, you know, pirate it like everyone else. <laughs> Anyways, take it away, Mercedes. <laughs> okay, so this story follows the aspiring music producer Becca Mitchell, played by Anna Kendrick, as she starts her freshman year of college against her will. She has big dreams of moving to L.A. and making it big in the music industry, but she has to make a deal with her dad that if she joins one club and actually tries in college this first year and still hates it by the end, then he'll pay for her to go to L.A. So that's the deal. So she reluctantly attends the school's activity fair where she meets two leaders of the all-women's Bard and Bella's acapella group, Aubrey, played by Anna Camp, and Chloe, played by Brittany Snow, who we love. Yes, we do. And yeah, so she leaves unimpressed, but later Chloe discovers Becca singing, like her singing talent in the communal college bathroom, of course. So cringe. But much to everyone's surprise, Becca actually attends auditions and joins the team. She's also starting an internship at the same time at the school's radio station alongside another freshman, Jesse, who's her love interest, Skylar Aston, who coincidentally is the new guy on the school's all-men a cappella group. <laughs> so there are no ri- rivals. And the Bella's reputation is in question right now from the beginning of the school year the strict rules strain the team and really just mess up their budding bond it's really tough for them to actually become friends because Aubrey's traditional ways really battle with Becca's angst and it leads to major losses for the team and even for Becca and her budding romance with Jesse but after a chaotic team apology the women are actually building a true friendship now and they get a second chance for the finals and Becca takes the lead on planning the performance she uses her deep DJ ways to mix it up up there. And the team actually wins with a special John Hughes tribute that she does specially for Jesse, which is really sweet. So they get the championships. The Bellas are on the rise again. And Becca's freshman year ends with a happy ending. Yeah, which not expecting because the way that she started off, you would have been like, okay, girl, you are going down real quick. (laughs) That girl's attitude. I'm like, no, I could never hang out with you. (laughs) I have a lot. I have a lot to say about that. So this is a 2012 film written by Kay Cannon who you might know as the co-executive producer of hit shows like New Girl, Mercedes, That's For You, yeah. um, 30 Rock, and Girl Boss. And this movie is directed by Jason Moore, who also directed Sisters, starring Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. And I just also have to give him a shout out because he directed an episode of my favorite show, One Tree Hill, which I have a tattoo oh. of on my wrist oh, right here. Amazing. So. <laughs> I don't want to be anything <laughs> other than what I've been. Oh, yo, yo, Gavin DeGraw all freaking day. All freaking day. <laughs> oh, I love it. But you know what's so cool, though? Like, we're talking about industry facts of this movie. So Esther Dean, who plays Cynthia, she is a famous songwriter. And during the riff-off in this movie, she sings S&M by Rihanna, which is a song that she wrote. <laughs> is that so oh, yeah. my God. So she's written a lot of songs for Rihanna. She's also written Super Bass by Nicki Minaj. She wrote Rude Boy. She wrote Firework by Katy Perry. So she's just like this epic songwriter. I know. And I feel like I saw this whole TikTok on her about how people don't know who Esther Dean is. And she's done X, Y, and Z and all this and that. And it's 
really cool. So she's she's a wow. <laughs> That's so impressive. Yeah, I read that this is actually based on a nonfiction book called Pitch Perfect, mm. and it's by Mickey Rapkin, and it's like an investigation into collegiate acapella. So this is really inspired by like real life. <laughs> real life. That's yeah. So funny. Speaking of funny, I know you have your takes, Mercedes. I love Rebel <laughs> Wilson. I think she's one of the funniest people walking this planet, and the reason for that is because she improvised most of her lines in this movie. Like that is impressive. That is so impressive. Like she would literally go on these twenty minute tangents on set, and just everyone have the have the crew, have the cast, everyone just in tears because <laughs> she would just be going off. I thought that was amazing. You could really tell that there was a friendship on this set. I mean, Brittany Snow has even said that this is the movie that made her fall back into acting, like mm. in love with acting, mm -hmm. because she she thought it was different. She was excited when she got to set. Which, I mean, makes all the difference. You can really tell. It really does, yeah. And Britney Snow's just such a naturally great performer. Like, yeah, you know, we all saw her in Hairspray. It's nice to see her play someone nice, though. Because Hello? Like Is John Tucker must die? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Iconic. <laughs> I feel like it's so easy for, for her to, like, play the villain and, like, the mean girl in high school. And I just, I, it's nice to see her be someone nice in college you know in high school she cool. was a bully but in college she's nice. <laughs> no, no. It, only in hairspray she was definitely the bully oh she also sang in crazy ex-girlfriend have you seen that i have not seen that okay oh my god that's she's good great. to know okay the funniest trope in here is elizabeth bank's character the two the two announcers and i actually oh, learned yes. yeah that gail was supposed to be played by kristen wig but she had scheduling conflicts so that's why elizabeth banks took oh. over <laughs> I wonder if she was filming because Bridesmaids came out the year before this, like right before this movie came out. So this, this was like the same era of all the mm. like women-led comedies. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I do think that this movie really like defines the 2010s in that same way, like Bridesmaids does. Mm -hmm. And the things that came out, like Glee does, you know, like all these things came out around the same time and kind of circle around each other. Mm -hmm. And it, like, is infamous for, like, famous quotes that were shared online. Like, this is such a quirky internet movie. <laughs> the humor stayed online for a really long time because I don't think it was big on the in the box office for release. But once mm -hmm. it went to streaming and, like, I think DVD, like, once people were actually seeing it at home, yeah, that's when it changed the game. And we've seen all these actors in other projects together, too. Like, Adam Devine and Rebel Wilson have done so much together. Yeah. Oh, they're so funny. Like, those two are so funny. Did you know he didn't know this was a singing movie? He thought I he wasn't audition and he thought he was a baseball, baseball movie. movie. I'm like, Adam, get a new agent. They got to prep you for that. That's their whole, their whole point of existing is to prep you for stuff like that. And so he was like, I have to change everything about this audition now. I love him. <laughs> He's so... He's so funny. He has a crazy life story, which I'll talk about a little bit later. <laughs> Listeners, you know what time it is. It is time for Time Capsule. Mercedes and I just like to recap where we were, what we were doing when we saw this movie when it came out for the first time. So I will say I can't really remember where I saw this movie, but I just remember loving it. And I think I remember it was in college because I was in college in 2012. But if I did see this in college, I would have tried so hard to join the acapella club. Can't sing. Worth crap. I was going to ask you if because you're so into performing arts. So I was like, oh, yeah. I'm sure Kendra was in some type of acapella group. No, because I can't sing. And that's like the worst thing. Like my senior year of high school, we did this play Thoroughly Mar and Millie. And this was the first time literally in Mountain View history that they had a play with the black lead because we always did stuff like My Fair Lady or freaking The Sound of Music and there are no black people in it. So 
I felt so happy that, okay, the time that I'm in school, they're doing a play with a black lead. And yeah. I thought I was going to get it because I was a senior and it was literally me and one other black girl. And she was a sophomore and they gave it to the other black girl because I couldn't sing. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> I'm not bitter. I'm not mad. <laughs> not still thinking about it 10 years later. But where were you? What were you doing when you saw this? So I don't remember the first time I watched this, but I can almost guarantee I saw it with my friend group in high school. We yeah. were, I was 16, so I was just starting my junior year when this came out in September 2012. Mm -hmm. um, and we went to the movies all the time. Like, I mean, we we had really strict parents as like a whole group, so we weren't really allowed to do much. <laughs> so yeah. when, yeah, so this came out near, so I can like guarantee that we saw it together probably like the first month of school or so. Yeah, I feel like 2012 was a very interesting year because, like I said, I was I was in college. This was my sophomore year. Yeah, and I lived in my sorority house, which actually wow. kind of changed and shaped my entire character for the better, but not for the reasons you would think. We just okay. <laughs> so, like for example, we had house chores that we had to do, and one of them was loading the dishwasher. And now I grew up with the dishwasher, but we never used it. We always washed our dishes by That's hand, so unless weird. it was yeah, yeah, unless it was Thanksgiving. And so I remember it was my turn to load the dishwasher and I didn't know how to do it. And that was like the house joke for like a little bit. Like, Dude, I don't know how to, know how to use a dishwasher either. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I understand. It's like, no, our parents made us struggle and to wash every single dish by the hand. <laughs> but I also feel like these girls were pretty insufferable. Like they were just so rich and so privileged and everything. Just like they could not see, understand life outside of their world. Uh -huh. And so after that, I went to go live with the environmental kids and they were amazing and changed my life. And then I also interned at the Cannes Film Festival in France that year. And that was the start of me having a birthday in a different country every year. So that's I turned 20 in 2012 in France. Mm -hmm. And every year after I've had my birthday in a different country. So I love that. Oh, what a great memory. Wow. Yeah, that's so cool. I was 16. Like I said, I was a yeah. junior in high school. So as we all know, juniors like quoted as being like the most intense year, like the most important year. So and I'm such a perfectionist. So the stress was on. I was in so many extracurriculars at school. I was so involved. I was like such I was a yearbook girl. So I was like yearbook, National Honor Society, like cultural clubs, volunteering. Like I did a lot and I was very active at school. I went to like all the like school functions, everything. Mm -hmm. I was very involved, super overachiever in class too. So the pressure was on. This was the first time that I was really like stressing about grades for the first time because before I was like, yeah, I'm going to get the A. Mm -hmm. And then this was like <laughs> the struggle. This, Especially that fall was like the most intense school year for me in high school. And I was also fully in love with Harry Styles. Like this was One Direction <laughs> time. So if I wasn't at school, I was basically just like on Tumblr and like Twitter reblogging One Direction. Folk, I had a dedicated Twitter to One Direction that I will never reveal and I was just constantly logged on. I was so online just for One Direction. Like I had their tag, like they would text me when they would tweet. Like I had all the alerts on everything. Like you were not getting. And like I would try to challenge myself and be like, don't talk about Harry Styles today. Don't talk about One Direction today. And that would be like my challenge for the day. And I could never get through it. Mercedes, this is so funny because like what One Direction was to you at that time in your life is what the Jonas Brothers were to me at that time. Uh, I oh, I was exactly, exactly it. the same way with the Jonas Brothers when I was in high school. Like you, I went to college and I remember thinking, okay, Kendra, people are like 22 years old here. You can't talk about the Jonas Brothers. And like the first week I I, I had to, I had to. I like went to a I... frat party. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty shameless. I also like when I love something, I'm like, oh, people will love it too. They just haven't gotten the taste of it yet. Like yeah. I'm never convinced that something I like should be like I'm never the girl who's like ashamed to like One Direction. That was never like people. I was like the One Direction girl. Yeah. <laughs> like people knew. <laughs> that is so funny. I love it. Well. Hey, I will say, like, you have been kind of right because everything that you've suggested to me to watch in terms of, like, TV shows or movies, I've always liked. So it's because I haven't gotten a taste of it yet. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Everyone just needs to try things out. Exactly. (laughs) All right, guys, it's time for the Rom-Com Hall of Fame. But, of course, Mercedes, as we do, we got to roast this movie. We got to talk about what doesn't age well. I don't know about you, but I have a ton. Okay. The first thing is, when Becca arrives at school and she's walking through the quad, you can see a group of guys, and they're probably frat guys, like, rating girls as they walk past. And I just remember this happened my freshman year of college, and it was mortifying. Like, the whole first month of college, there was this there was this frat house, I won't say names, but every they were on the corner of, like, all of the frat houses, yeah. and they would just hold up numbers every time a group of freshmen walked past. Oh, oh my God. And you could tell we were freshmen because we were stupid and wore our lanyards around our neck. Of course. And, like, you know, you, you, know, you do that until people yeah. tell you, you know, you don't have to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's traumatizing. Yeah, it was a it was a, it was a lot. <laughs> no, that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that <laughs> terrifies me. Oh, my gosh. It is. It is a this, lot. This movie was just like so 2010s. And I say that in the, uh, like a way of like, okay, this is a piece of time, almost like a cultural order, artifact of the time. Mm. But also the comedy now has definitely changed. And 2012, it may have seemed really innovative, but now watching this, most of these jokes didn't land for me. There are Mm. so many jokes about body image and sexuality that just don't age well. Mm. And a lot of this humor is satirical and like self-aware in the in the way that it like pokes fun of like the aggressiveness and elitism of the club and acapella in general. And just like dweebs having a lot of power in their own little world, you know, which is funny. That's always funny. But all the jokes about people's bodies and like self-presentation become i don't know like i don't like when people become the comedy become the butt of the joke just for like what they look like how they present themselves and even when it's self-targeted i just like it just feels so dated and mm-hmm. just not my vibe so i'm guessing the oscars this sunday uh, didn't land for you either that chris rock joke <laughs> i yeah i i, I can't speak on it <laughs> <laughs> Something else, I feel like when Becca goes back to apologize to the group, she's like, I've never been the type of girl that's had a lot of girlfriends. And I'm just like, that's such a red flag. Women who are like, I don't have any girlfriends. Girls are so so much drama. I just hang out with guys. It's like, that is such a red flag. If you are a woman who does not have other female friends, come on now. It literally just shows a lack of maturity mm-hmm. and also your your need for validation from the opposite sex. Like the reason you don't have female friends is because you know women are going to call you out on your BS. <laughs> exactly. And like I wasn't shocked when she said it, but I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just roll my eyes at people that say that she's such like a not like other girls pick me girl. Yeah. I hate it. Those are the worst. Like come <laughs> on. Just like be nice, make a friend. Yeah. Also, the fact that she doesn't like movies. I could roast Becca all day long. Yeah. Like, like let's get into that because that is a whole thing. How do you not like exactly what Jesse said? He's like, that's like that not liking puppies. Who doesn't like freaking exactly. puppies? <laughs> exactly. There are so many movies. You can't find one you like. Not yeah, a documentary. 
Exactly. Like she has to be so like alternative. Be like, no, I don't follow the I don't follow the status quo. Like, shut up, Becca. Sit down. It's, she's <laughs> such a bummer. Like she doesn't want to have fun eat like ever. Mm-hmm. And I understand not want like when I started college, I didn't want to go to the school I had to. I ended up going to, mm-hmm. but I got over that real quick once I started <laughs> making friends. And then I was like. I love college. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and also, too, Becca complaining the whole time about getting a free college education. Like, girl, yeah. I have $32,000 in student loan debt. Do mm-hmm. not make me smack you. Like, exactly. To be so, so bad. Lucky. Yeah. Well, what a privilege it is to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting this education for free and I don't want to be here. Like, there are people who are slaving away right now, dying yeah. to go to college, to get the opportunity to try to go to college. And you are here getting it for free and you're just pouting. Like, stop with all the privilege. I can't. And, like, speaking of privilege, too, I feel like, yes, there are people of color in this movie, but still felt very, very white. Did you feel that? It's incredibly white. Is it because acapella is a very vanilla thing? Like, (laughs) I think so. But I also think it was just, like, 2010s casting. Like, that wouldn't, like, if we had an ensemble cast like this made now, it would have been Mm -hmm. a lot different. And there wouldn't just be, like, tokens. We're yeah. here, it's just like token per acapella group, it feels. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, guys, we should talk about we should talk about our favorite quote. I I want to hear what yours is. Okay, mine is from Britney Snow makes her speech about <laughs> nodes and she's like, I am living with notes. But I am a survivor. <laughs> so funny. My best friend Kaylee, we always joked that she had nodes because of her voice would crack all the time. So every time I hear this quote, I think about her. And it makes it 10 times funnier. And I'm like, yeah. I love it, Kaylee. <laughs> I love that. I love when they are at the initiation party and Rebel Wilson walks up to Adam and she's like, I sometimes have a feeling I can do crystal meth, but then I think, hmm. Yes, when she rejects him. Oh my goodness! Yeah, she she's good with the one-liners. She's good with the one-liners, exactly. So okay, with the one-liners and everything else, and like you know, even though I felt like this was a good movie, but it wasn't because of the protagonist, which is very rare. It's usually the protagonist that is driving the movie and causing audiences to like they're like changing their feelings on it but i feel like that wasn't the case because becca's just such an unlikable character i'm curious Mm -hmm. if this movie popped up on your tinder feed would you swipe left or would you swipe right so i'm swiping right but it's definitely not something i rewatch often but for me i'm swiping right because it's just like at the i don't know the core of it is just a story of friendship and it's the power of friendship amongst women and we see Mm -hmm. that and we see we get to see becca evolve into a girl's girl which we like to see and the romance is sweet but it's not resonating like the way that the friendships do and the bonds between the women once they like really get it together and like when they're singing on the bus that's so cute when they're singing Mm -hmm. Miley Cyrus on the bus and I don't know it's those things and like my friendships with women are so sacred to me and friendship love deserves to be celebrated too and like that's as much as the love in this is i don't know the romance between her and jesse absolutely i i was watching a tiktok about how this woman she was like i used to be the girl that said things like oh i don't have any girlfriends there's so much drama i just like hang out with guys and she was like that's because i didn't have any like strong female relationships in my life and she was like when you find your core group of friends like the people who understand you who you just have like cry therapy with who just get you on a whole nother level like that is a that is a friendship that is what will stand the test of time and i feel like there are people who don't have that and it was nice to see 
that kind of form in this movie. So I feel like I would swipe right, but also I'm a musical geek. I love any <laughs> movie about singing. And also I love, is it, is it Divine or Devine? I always say Divine. Okay, I'm Divine. He has a crazy life story. He like almost died when he was a kid. Have you heard his story? No. Okay, I've so on Disney Plus, they do this. I don't remember what the show is called, but they like profile a famous person that like has an inspiring story. And they did an episode on Adam Divine. And, like, he almost died when he was a kid. He got, like, seriously hit by a car and, like, oh was in the hospital for a minute. Just, like, broke everything. And and it just kind of, like, changed the trajectory of his life. You should watch it. It's like a, it's like a half-hour episode on Disney. You will definitely, definitely yeah. be watching that. Yeah, I'll text you when I figure out what the name is. But it's it's really good. And it just made me appreciate him so much more. Because I feel like with comedians, you just think, like, oh, they grew up, like, liking comedy and all this stuff. It's like, it, it, it's just, he has a very crazy story. So <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> especially with white boy comedians. You're like, okay, who do you yeah. know in the industry? Whatever. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right, guys, we are actually going to move into couples therapy. Mercedes <laughs> and I just love to give advice for the characters on how they can improve their relationship, which I have a lot, I'm going to say. <laughs> Becca needs to just let her guard all the way freaking mm-hmm. down. Like, every time you turn around, you see Jesse being so sweet to her, like with the picnic on the quad and the Breakfast Club movie and even freaking bailing her out of jail. Like, I'm a yeah. broad college student. I don't have money to do that. Yes, I'm going to call your dad because I don't exactly. like, and he was exactly. like, I'm the only one here. And just even trying to make her laugh during like stacking CDs. And literally all Becca does is show her utter disdain for his life and existence. Like, it's just, yeah, it's so, it's so sad because it's often like, I don't even find Jesse annoying or or pushy or anything. Like, I feel like he's just a guy who's showing his interest, which a lot of us girls would like more guys to communicate, yeah. you know? And I just feel like if you don't like someone, you should just say that and make it obvious because it's obvious that Jesse likes you. And I just feel like the way that Becca handles frustration is very toxic, too. Like, mm-hmm. we as adults, and I didn't know this until, like, I was 26, that it is not okay for people to yell. Like when you are having an argument or you don't like something and you and you raise your voice. Because in my house growing up, all we did was yell. And it's just, I, I didn't learn that it was a sign of like a, someone who cannot regulate their emotions until, like I said, I was already an adult. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that like Becca just like yells at him and was like, oh my God, why are you here? And I was just like, come on, dude. Like I just feel like yeah. Becca needs to mature a lot and learn how to communicate a lot. <laughs> Yeah, she's my main frustration with this relationship and with the whole movie. But, (laughs) like, she has her defenses up and she's quick to reinforce them as punishment for people. So anytime things don't go her way or people don't let her have her way, she's, like, walls up again. It's only child syndrome. That's what it feels like. And it feels Mm. very spoiled. And I just can't support it. And she doesn't communicate anything, but she complains that no one understands her. And that <laughs> is so annoying. And I'm, I don't know, to play devil's advocate, like, I guess Jesse shouldn't be so persistent if the, someone's acting so disinterested in you. Like, maybe respect the boundary. But also, like, nothing he did was uncomfortable or, I don't know, like, really forceful. Yeah. It was really, like, it could almost be translated of just, like, be my friend. Yeah. But it's also like persistence is so like nonchalantly accepted in love stories. Yep. And that's something that I think should change. So there's back and forth there, but mainly Becca just bugs me. <laughs> yeah. She really, I, again, just like such an unlikable protagonist in such a great movie, which I feel like you don't see a ton. 
But I'm curious what you feel like their love languages are. I think Becca needs quality time because you can tell she has so many walls up. Um, But when she gets to know people a little more, that's when she relaxes. And you can see her character just like grow. Like her arc really shines through when she's having quality time with people. And I think she gives acts of service because she came to Jesse's defense in that fight after the semifinals. She creates the whole plan to really modernize the Bellas for the championship. And then she does the whole Breakfast Club Judd Nelson tribute for Jesse in the finals, which I think is such a sweet. It's so sweet. Like I say all this stuff about Becca, and then I'm like, oh, that's sweet. When they both put their fists <laughs> up, I'm like, <laughs> Hey, what about Jesse? Jesse gives quality time, like the movie watching, the picnic, even like at the internship when he like uses the record covers as like different. Like he's so silly and always wants to make her laugh, which is so sweet. Um, and I think he needs acts of service and maybe words of affirmation, too, because yeah. he just needs like any type of encouragement <laughs> and <Yeah>. reinforcement. <laughs> I feel like two for two people who love to sing like words of affirmation definitely has to be in there. In their love oh, language. definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That's so true. <laughs> So, okay, if we're talking about if this couple lasts in five years, I said absolutely not. Some relationships yeah. are just meant for college, and that's it, and that's okay, you know? Exactly. They help us learn, they help us grow, but what do you think? Exactly. I think, yeah, no, of course they're not going to last over <laughs> five years. Like, this is a college relationship, and that's totally fine. Like, leave it at that. It even could be a fling. Like, we don't know what that's going to turn into. Yeah, these two are really sweet at the for the Breakfast Club tribute at the Aka finals, but <laughs> they're so young, and it just doesn't, like, you don't really see, like, any real connection. Mm-hmm. You just see, like, two people who, like, kind of like each other, you know? Yeah, that's how it was growing up, right? Like, we never, like, you never like someone because of the qualities that they had. You were just like, oh, they're cute. I'm going to like you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome in a way where you're just like, I see you a lot and I'm around you a lot. I think I like you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember having a crush on a guy in high school who I had known since middle school. But because, like, I finally noticed him in high school, I was like, oh, I like you. Like, we had been friends the whole time, but I never, it had had nothing to do with any of his characteristics, his personality traits, nothing. It was just like, oh, I, I, I see you now. You're in my vicinity. Yeah, yeah. I see you more. <laughs> One time I developed a crush on a boy because he listed out the birthdays of the members of One Direction. Including <laughs> year. Including <laughs> year. Ow. And I was like, do I? Am I Wait. in love with you? <laughs> heartthrob, heartthrob. Who would you take home to your friends and family? Who would you introduce to your loved ones? Adam Devine. Definitely. Mm -hmm. He's so funny. His character in this is absurd and so intense. Yep. But I really enjoy him in everything he does. He, I think he's charming. I think, honestly, he should be in more rom-coms. He's in a couple. Yeah, he's in a couple Netflix ones, right? He's in that... uh... I forget. He's one with (laughs) Alexandra Daddario, and then he's in one with Rebel Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Oh, I do like, I do like seeing him on my screen he just makes everything better i feel like <laughs> yes his arc in modern family was the best ah! like for any for any guest on modern family he had a good oh one. my god modern family will always have a special place in my heart okay <laughs> so i would actually take uh utkarsh Ambudkar, who played donald he's yes. the rapping one in the troublemakers because i just feel like he could beatbox and rap really well and if he can move his lips that's best i would like to explore what else he can do with those lips Ooh, Okay. He is great. He's in so much stuff. Yeah. So much. So much. He's in that new series. I think it's on CBS Ghost or is it NBC? 
He's on a new. He's not in this like new show called Ghost, and he's just always around. Like if you look at his IMDb page, he's constantly yeah, he's on working. everything. Yeah, he's on the Mindy Project. Mm-hmm. He's been in mo- like all over the place. Impressive. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. <laughs> all right, guys, we are going to play Mary Smooch Ghost. We have yeah. Jesse Bumper and Benji. <laughs> you, oh, I knew you. Can you pick this list for sentence? You're killing me. You're killing me. Okay, who would you marry? Who would you smooch? And who would you ghost? I would marry Jesse. I would smooch Bumper and I'm ghosting Benji. Mm, okay. Okay. You know, I have a problem separating the actor from the character sometimes because I really like Benji, the character. And yeah. I feel like I would marry Veggie because he's so nerdy and I kind of like that. Whoa. <laughs> She's marrying Dear Evan Hansen. Hi, Mary. Evan Hansen. But it's just so funny how he's like, oh, I'm not just into like geeky stuff. I'm into close up magic. I was like, wait, that's oh kind of cool. <laughs> Have you ever met a guy who loves magic? No. Have you ever had a guy pull a coin from behind your ear? No, thank God. But I have met guys who do like magic and I. I I'm startled every time. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do. I mean, it's just like it always you're never like prepared for it. It just comes out of nowhere and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God, but see now I have the choice between Jesse Bumper, who I too I okay. I'd probably ghost Bumper because he's kind of mean. Like when he Rebel Wilson walks up to him and he's like, You are probably the most disgusting human being I've ever seen. I was like, Oh my gosh. He flirts like, like a toddler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like exactly. a middle school girl who's yeah. just like bullying you. <laughs> so then I would I would smooch Jesse. I do like the bright so it's very funny. Most people know I have a tattoo of John Cusack's character from Say Anything Lloyd Dobler yes. on my arm. And I was actually thinking about also getting Judd Nelson's character from The Breakfast, Breakfast Club with the Club. fist in the air. Oh my God. Uh, just like Are right you a Judd Nelson girl? Okay. In The Breakfast Club, I think, yes, him and Ali Sheedy were my favorite. But also, I love Judd Nelson's character in uh, St. Elmo's Fire. Uh, Ooh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So good, so good. I'm an Emilio Estevez girl. I can't talk today in the okay. club. If we're talking about 80s <laughs> though, like Judd Nelson isn't even on my list. Okay, Rob Lowe uh, and Andrew oh McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy circa 1986 is like every every fantasy if that I've ever had. 80s heartthrobs, the whole cast of The Outsiders is on. Yes. Like that's yes. it. Oh that's my home. gosh. That whole, I used to watch that movie daily. Rob Lowe still gets like letters from middle school girls every year being like, hi, I just watched the movie. (laughs) He is so beautiful. Oh my gosh. Okay, we can, we have to do a whole, (laughs) we got to do an 80s movie of the future because I got a lot to say. (laughs) All right, guys, before we wrap it up, we always love to bring in a pop culture moment. So speaking of Skylar Astin, I saw that he's now in Grey's Anatomy, which is good because I'll be honest, the whole time I was watching this movie, I was like, is he? Like, I haven't seen yeah. him in a while. Like, what has he been in? And so I see him on TikTok. Oh, really? Sometimes. Got, okay. A little jump scare sometimes. <laughs> but I was seriously thinking, I was like, this guy is good. Why isn't he in more and stuff? But also, I think I just haven't seen a lot of the things that he's been in. So, yeah. I'm happy that he's in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's cool. I have two Adam Devine little tidbits. Okay. And my first one is that it was announced a few weeks ago that they're making a new Pitch Perfect TV series on Peacock. And it's an Adam Devine led spinoff. I really hope I'm saying his name right. Because if yeah. it's Devine this whole time, I'm yeah, feel so bad. <laughs> Apologies. But yeah, so he reprises his role mm-hmm. as Bumper. And he's also joined by Jamila Jamil from The Good Place and Ooh. Sarah Highland, who was his love interest on Modern Family, who we all know from Modern Family. 
And that's so exciting. And then also my other tidbit is he plays Kelvin on the HBO dark comedy Righteous Gemstones. Uh I love this show. There's two seasons out. It is so twisted and honestly sometimes just like crude and crass. And, but it's just so absurd, and I like I genuinely laugh out loud, like full belly laugh to the show because you're just like, what is happening? Like fully yeah. in shock the whole time. I love it. I hope everyone watches it. Wait, is that Danny McBride is in there, right? Or am I? I don't know. Okay, I'll have to look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to look. Um, I any anything on HBO, I will watch. Um, with my full yeah. attention, so I will definitely have to look that up. <laughs> um, but listeners, we want to know your thoughts about Pitch Perfect. Did it make you want to join an acapella group? Is this your favorite <laughs> musical movie? What do you think about Becca's character? Make sure to slide into our DMs at Meet Cute. Again, guys, I'm Kendra. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Ken10Hollywood. Yes, and I'm Mercedes. You can find me at MercedesGB11 on Twitter, IG, and TikTok. And if you're looking for new rom-coms, follow Meet Cute wherever you listen to podcasts and follow Meet Cute on socials everywhere. Bye, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye.